All right. Well, hey, church, it's been an amazing journey so far through the book of Mark. Amen. We've hit some incredibly hard topics, some good topics, some soul encouraging topics. But today, I think we underestimate the gravity of the subject that we're going to talk about today. Before we do, um, I just wanted to follow up on one of our announcements and give you a sense. We're going to be switching our live stream a a little bit. It's not going away, but what we're going to be doing, because it is so such a volunteer-heavy ministry, we're going to be recording the service and then we're going to be post-producing it and then releasing it at 4 o'clock every Sunday. So there will still be access to it. You can still invite people. It just won't be accessible until about 4 o'clock that, that Sunday afternoon, okay? I wanted to know, for those of you, I know some of you recommend that to your coworkers and those kinds of things. And so it's a tool, and hopefully this will uh, even make it more accessible, more efficient, and more better as well as uh, freeing up our tech team, which, hey, can we just kind of give a quick applause to our tech team? That was their nightmare. They don't like to have attention at all, okay? And so that's why they do the background stuff, but we're so grateful to you um, and your work. Uh, So we're talking about the gravity of forgiveness or Jesus's authority to forgive this morning. And before we do, I've I've got a story for you. It's not one of my finer moments, so please don't hold this one against me, okay? Can we make a deal about that? Okay, so I'm an avid Frisbee golf player. Everybody's like, what? It's known as Falf. It's known as Frisbee golf. I see my Falf players up on the top row. Guys, yep, you my people. Um, And so I was playing one of my best golf games I've ever played. It was in New Mexico. I was in a tournament. I hit my first goal, my first basket. I did it hole in one, which is like really hard. That was the only hole in one I'd ever had in my lifetime. And yeah, everybody go, whoa, okay. You'll say, whoa, now wait until this story finishes. Okay. So I was getting really confident, really cocky. And I began to play this, this nine hole of, uh, of Frisbee golf. I was doing really good. I was like the best game of my life. I get to hole seven. I did it again. Hole in one, in one game, my first two baskets, uh, hole in hole in one basket happened in that game. And so I got to hole nine. And how do you think I was feeling? I was like, man, I can take on the world right now, right? This is awesome. And I come to hole nine, and hole nine, you have to throw over this football field. And you have to go in through this little bridge and then get to the basket on the other side of this bridge. And if you throw around the other side, you're going to gain probably an extra stroke. And uh, But the thing about the football field is this. It is chock full of people. So if you mess up, there's a problem. Okay. And of course, you know, I'm feeling confident, like pride before the fall here. Right. And that Frisbee disc just leaves my hand wrong and darts right into the middle of the field with all these people. And as soon as it left my hand, I was like, no, come back. And I saw a dart for this, this gal that was sitting on the sidelines. She was just sitting watching the game And it just goes, it was like one of the slow motion moments of terror, right? This is awful. I'm about to kill somebody. And by the way, I was a pastor leading a bunch of college students at a conference. And so now the pastor has killed another student. 
right? So I'm just thinking about, this is the worst case scenario. So the disc just flies right for her face and just nails the side of her head. Instantly, I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. It's like your heart just drops. Your, your stomach is just in your, like, it's not in your knees. It's in your heels at this point, right? And I'm running over. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And all of a sudden, blood is coming down. And it's like, oh man, she's going to have to go to the hospital. Like, I think I just took out her eyeball. Like, I don't, like, worst case scenario here. And uh, she get, they get her to the hospital. They run her. I just, I spend the rest of the day just sick to my stomach you know, that feeling. And then finally, I got her number from some of her, her group and I was texting her, I'm praying for you. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did that. That was awful. Didn't even finish my game of, of Frisbee golf. And, and um, the next day she came back to campus. And I remember it was like, it was the weirdest, the worst feeling. It's just like, I was walking up. I was like, I have to say, I'm so sorry. I have to see her face to face. And I have to ask for forgiveness because she doesn't know how prideful I was in that moment, right? And so I walked up and it was the hardest moment, tears in my eyes. I was just like, I'm so, so sorry. And she just, she said, it's all good. It's all good. I forgive you because Jesus forgave me. And I was just like, wow, forgiveness is powerful, isn't it? Forgiveness is powerful, but it is also very very, actually, one of the most difficult things that we will walk through and walk in as Christians, isn't it? Walking in the same kind of forgiveness. And so let's look at the passage here that we have this morning. We've been going through the book of Mark to remember everything that we've done in the beginning of the book of Mark is all about the kingship of Jesus. Jesus has the authority as king. Like nobody else in history, he can do things because he has the authority and the position of king over all creation. And Mark is displaying this. He's putting it on full display that Jesus is a king above kings. He is the king of all kings kings. And he is the king that has authority to do things that no other human being can be. And that comes to a climax when we look at the forgiveness that he offers this man now. Let's look at Mark 2 verses 1 through 12. Would you read this for me, with me? <laughs> Mark 2, 1 says, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that, that this was questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? In verse nine, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. 
And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we just pray, God, that you would give us a depth of gratitude and thankfulness this morning for the forgiveness that you offered us. It is unlike any other gift we could ever get in existence. The depth of the forgiveness that you offer us, God, it has no limit and no end, and it is immense. I pray this morning you give us a new appreciation for the forgiveness that you offered us in Jesus. We pray. Amen. All right. So, forgiveness. Let's define forgiveness really quick. Um, So, forgiveness, I'm going to define it. Uh, I found this out of the Lexingham uh, word. Dictionary says, forgiveness is the release on the part of the creditor or offended party. Think of the gal that got hit by the Frisbee. Pretty offended party, right? Of any expectation that a debt would be repaid or that an offender will receive punishment for an offense. When describing the removal of an inappropriate offense in this way, the removal, and this is very important for us, the removal does not condone the behavior or suggest approval for the offense. So when God forgives us of sins, he's not saying that sins are okay. Does that make sense? Okay. So a lot of times in scripture, when it talks about forgiveness, it mentions this idea that God is like God forgetting. Well, God is omniscient, right? He knows all things. So when it's saying that he forgets, does it mean like he's kind of forgetful? No, but the idea is that he is going to treat us as sinners as if it never happened. How many of you know you've made a mistake sometimes? And how many of you know that no matter what you do, all of life is different because of that mistake, right? And people don't treat, especially the people that you have offended or, or done something against, right? You know that relationship is probably changed forever, isn't it? Doesn't that make it all the more miracle that God says that he forgets our sin? And he treats us as if it never happens. Human beings can't even do that. That's impossible for us, isn't it? But God chooses to treat us as if no sin had occurred. That is what forgiveness from God looks like. I look at 2 Chronicles 7.14 then, this promise, this beautiful promise of forgiveness. Many of us, I think this is okay to pray over our country and over our land. If many people who were called by my name humbled themselves and what? and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So what what we're going to go through today, if you have your bulletin, I have it lined out. These are just five words that came to my spirit, came to my mind as I read this passage regarding forgiveness. Regarding forgiveness. Okay, I want to start in verse 2. Verse 2. The first thing we see in this scenario. So you've got Jesus. He's, he's kind of starting to be a big deal. Why? We've heard about why he's being a big deal. He's able to do things that nobody else was able to do. He's able to heal the sick and cast out demons in a way that is shocking and surprising. And so the crowds are coming running. 
They're excited about what it is that Jesus has to bring to the table. And so there's a gathered crowd and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. I want you to go to then to verse four. And when they could not get near him, so you've got four guys, they're carrying a paralytic and they're carrying him to Jesus and they're desperate. We're going to get to this in a minute. They're desperate to get this paralytic man to Jesus for obvious reasons, right? But they have trouble. And as I was praying about this, brothers and sisters, and I was thinking the word that came to my mind was, was this word, blocked, blocked. See, these men were trying to bring this paralytic man to Jesus, but there was such excitement. There was such uh, uproar about Jesus that there were many in the way. There were barriers and there were hurdles. And as I prayed about this and as I thought about this today, brothers and sisters, do we ask ourselves, where is it that I have stood as a barrier to people coming to Christ? And this isn't always even known, right? So the crowds weren't thinking, I'm in the way of this man coming to Christ. They weren't thinking that, were they? But all the, nonetheless, they were standing in big crowds blocking the way. And I think, man, I wonder how many of us as Christians, we get so excited about our Christian culture and we get so excited about running to Jesus and we get so excited about the things of Jesus that we don't turn and look around and ask the question, are we harming are we creating unnecessary barriers to getting to Christ? Do we do that, church? Sometimes that's rules, right? Sometimes that's unnecessary rules. You saw the Pharisees do this early on in, in Jesus' ministry, right? Jesus started to call out all of the extra rules. Here's a rule. How many of you knew that it's not a rule in church to dress really nice? It's not. That, that's a rule that came later. If you're not dressed nice, please still come to church. And if you don't have anything nice... And you're probably going to see wrinkly clothes on your pastor because I'm terrible at ironing and I don't like doing it, right? But a lot of times we create these unspoken expectations as Christians that create barriers to people coming to Christ, just as that crowd was standing in front of the doorway. How many times do we have unnecessary expectations of people who walk through that door, right? People who come into this church, how many of us have the expectation that they're just going to come in and know what to do, know how to be Christians, know how to be friendly, know how to get involved in church? How many of you just knew when you walked in the first time? So we want to be people not who, make it, who don't make it difficult to get to Christ. Um, I always think about this. I served as a, as a youth pastor, college pastor for a long time, and we did a lot of um, conferences and we did a lot of retreats. And I'll never forget a story about a pastor. Every retreat, everything he ever attended, if there was food, he was the first in line. Anybody know that person? If you don't know that person, it's probably you. Okay. But I'll just never forget that that was the reputation of this pastor. He was always the first in line and he was always running ahead of students and ahead of people. And I think how many times do we try to put ourselves first in church? How, do we try, how many times do we try to put ourselves first out in the world? How many times do we rush ahead trying to get whatever we can, not thinking about how is this going to make it harder for others to see Jesus? Can we hinder people from coming to Christ? Well, no, God's the one who does the saving, amen? But we can certainly accidentally make it more difficult, can't we? And thank goodness God can overcome that. But we don't want to be people who block others from coming to Christ because we are so self-centered. 
because we're so worried about getting in the front. We're so worried about seeing what Jesus is doing or, or getting ahead of the crowd. How are other ways that we can avoid or how, how are different ways that we end up accidentally blocking people come to Christ? Brothers and sisters, when we avoid the discussion, the hard discussions about sin and about the gospel, did you know that that's a block to people? Because who else are they going to hear the truth from? Who, who, else, who else is going to open their mouths? The Bible says, how will they hear if no one is sent? If no one opens their mouth to share the gospel, how are they going to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? The answer is they're not to Paul's rhetorical question. And so for us, how do we block the path, the way for people getting to Christ? We don't open our mouths and share it readily. We avoid that hard conversation. Particularly, there's an aspect of the gospel that's really hard. You guys know what it is? Sin and depravity. Because part of the good news is that we are sinners that we're deprived, we're separated from God, and therefore we need something to happen to be, make us right with God. So there's, in an element to the good news, there's kind of bad news, but it's obvious bad news, right? You have to kind of have your head in the sand to recognize that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So when we avoid the hard conversations about faith and about sin, here's where we get into, I discussed this last week, the prosperity gospel right? Where people come and they say, if you come to Jesus, he's just going to tell you to do whatever you want to, and he's going to give you everything you want. That's just not the truth, right? But see, we, if we begin to preach that gospel without preaching the full gospel, which means that we were sinners in need of God's grace, then we are missing the whole picture, and therefore we are blocking people's way to God. And I think that's where we've created so many consumers of Christianity. Creating consumers, did you know, is a, is a barrier to true, genuine faith with Jesus, isn't it? If you're just here to get what you want and get your desires, we talked about this last week, then you're not going to have intimacy with God. You just want your things. So how do we block others? We avoid hard conversations about the gospel. I'll never forget, I had a student a few years ago, and uh, I remember we invite, based on James, uh, the passage I shared with you last week about praying for one another and praying for healing, um, it says, confess your sins before one another and pray for each other that you might be healed. And so we tried to practice that as a student ministry. And so we would have this time of confession. And I had one student who came to me and he said, I got to confess to you that I'm addicted to pornography. And I said, okay, well, let's talk about that. Let's pray for you. Let's, let's pray for you. And as I began to talk to him, yeah, pornography was a major issue for him. But as I began to talk to him, it emerged that he was playing video games eight to 14 hours a day. That's an addiction. That's a master. And so I, having a hard conversation with, this, with somebody who loves video games, I sat down and I said, man, pornography is an issue, but you've got a bigger fish to fry at this point. You're spending eight to 14 day, hours a day playing video games. I said, that's sin. That's an idol. That's intense. I've never had, a, so students, they'll tell me, you know, I have a pornography addiction left and right. But when it comes to something that's important to them, and you call that sin, what do you think he did? He almost threw a chair at me. He was so mad. How dare you tell me? There's nowhere in the Bible that says video games are sin. I'm like, you're right. But it sure tells us that when something enslaves us, that it is an idol. And that becomes sin, doesn't it? Many of us have some of those things in our life. But I had to sit down and have this hard conversation with this kid, with this student. He left and he never came back. He was on my leadership team. And he never came back. 
because he was so offended. He was okay with me talking about pornography as a sin, but his video game addiction was off limits. See, brothers and sisters, when we share the gospel, we have to have hard conversations. And we have to help people see that, that they're enslaved to their sin, enslaved to the world. And if we avoid those conversations, we're just setting them up for consumerism. And they're hard conversations. When I say this, I'm not saying that you should walk around with a finger pointing at people, right? Accusing them. But I am saying gently, we need to plead with people. Because there's this sense, how many of you, when somebody is walking in the consequences of their sin or they're facing consequences of their sin, you want to come in and you want to comfort them, don't you? You say, oh, bless your heart. You're all right. You're good to go. You're a good person. How many of you have comforted somebody by telling them they're a good person, right? Christians, I can't tell you how many times I've heard Christian people say that to somebody to comfort them in their sin. We can't do that because that blocks people from the forgiveness and the healing that they would receive from God. We can't make sin all right, but we can say that there is healing through forgiveness in God. So these people blocked the path. They blocked the path. Um, the next word I want to show you is helpless. As I was praying through this passage, it was helpless. The paralytic man was helpless to be healed and ultimately forgiven. We are able to make ourselves, are we able to make ourselves right with God? The answer is no. We need to really kind of sink into this idea or thinking about the fact of the, that how helpless we are before God if it wasn't for his grace. Have you ever spent time in the quiet, in the stillness? Some of us, especially younger generations, don't know what that is. Quiet is where you're not listening to anything. Stillness is when you're not viewing anything, but you're sitting in the quiet with the Lord and you're beginning to analyze what is your standing before a holy, infinite, and righteous God. You ever stand at night looking at the stars, thinking about the universe and thinking about how small you are comparatively? You ever ponder that? Well, thinking about that, thinking about our helplessness to make ourselves right with God. Colossians 2.13 says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Can a dead man come to life in and of himself? No. Dead means, I looked it up in the Greek, dead. Dead means dead. But see, here we see in this paralytic man, a picture of us. He was helpless to bring himself even before Christ, but these men brought him. This is a picture of us. We're paralyzed in sin. No way out for us. Even believers, if you think that now because you're a Christian, you can just conquer your sin, how's that going for you? No, see, it's a daily activity of bringing ourselves back before Jesus and laying ourselves at his feet and saying, Jesus, I can't do this without you. I cannot overcome this sin. I cannot overcome this pornography addiction. I cannot overcome this video game addiction. I cannot overcome this substance addiction. Without you, Lord Jesus, it's a daily practice of coming and admitting our helplessness, our helplessness, and asking for his help. Forgiveness is not something that, you can, that can be demanded. It's always funny watching kids, man. Kids are such an awesome, like they, they show us who we are, don't they? So genuinely and honestly, they forget themselves. And if you're a parent, you're like, oh man, I do that all the time. And now I have to parent that, right? But um, 
Kids have this awesome way of showing us, like, if you're asking them to apologize to one another, it's always the victim that's like, you need to forgive. Or, you know, it's always the person that's like, you need to forgive. This, maybe this is just my kids that do this. You need to forgive me, right? You ever had a kid say that? You need to say, you need to say, you need to forgive me. And so there's like this demand on the part of the kids. You have to forgive me. And you have to pull them aside and say, you can't really demand forgiveness. But you know, I think a lot of us, a lot of us demand God to forgive us, don't we? That's a sense that we have a higher view of ourselves than we ought, that we think we're worthy of forgiveness. But see, again, we have to come back to this idea that we're helpless. We cannot demand God forgive us, but he is faithful and just to forgive us when we ask, right? So there's this attitude of entitlement that sometimes I think we can have with God. You think that's true? That we just think that God should, tr- should treat us how we want. God doesn't have to forgive us. Did you guys know that? God really didn't have to forgive us. You ever thought through that reality? Um, for those of you who I am speaking to, I don't know why it's video gamers I'm picking on today, but if you remember the old video game systems, they had this big button typically on the side that said reset. Do you remember that, that button? And see, the crazy thing about God is God had access to a reset button for all of creation when we entered into sin. Did you know that? He could have just said, well, we'll start over and just annihilate everything. But he didn't do that, did he? He didn't do that. He didn't just destroy everything and create a new and perfect creation. He really had every right to do that. He didn't destroy us and start again. But instead, he found a way to redeem us. He found a way to redeem us. And he is the one who did it in our helpless estate. See, that paralytic man was helpless. I want you to see here in verse four, he was carried by these four men. So that's the next word for you. So the first word was blocked. Second word is helpless. Third word is, I'm going to write it here, carried, carried. This man was carried. And I want to think about these four men. See, God uses us as believers to carry the paralyzed in sin to him. Amen? Do you get a sense for their desperation to get this man before Jesus? There was no barrier that was going to keep them from bringing this man. In fact, like, it was pretty taboo to just kind of go up to somebody's roof that you don't know and start pulling off shingles to get a guy through, right? I mean, you'd be like, bro, I worked hard on that roof. Don't poke a hole in my roof, especially now in the winter. But then you get the sense that they were all about removing the barriers that this paralyzed man had between, between him and Jesus, And see, we are called priests. Did you guys know that I was telling the the young kids that today? Did you know we're a nation of priests? Every one of you, if you're here, if you're a believer, you're a priest. It was like, whoa, isn't that weird? You can turn to your brother and sister and say, hey, did you know you're a priest? You know the number one goal of a priest is to remove any barrier between human beings and God. That's the role of a priest. We're to advocate for reconciliation with God. We're to remove every barrier that we possibly can that's within our realm of influence to remove barriers so that people can get closer to Jesus. And you get the sense that these men were desperate. They didn't take no for an answer for this man. They kept pushing forward. They climbed a roof with this man on their shoulders so that they could get him before Jesus. What if we had that kind of desperation for people to come to Jesus? 
What if we saw any barrier? We wanted to remove it. And so we did everything within our power. There's a man called William Wilberforce. Look him up. He's an amazing man in history. He kept a journal. He was uh, largely attributed to the abolition of slavery among the world. Okay. Um, But William Wilberforce was a believer and he kept a journal with him all the time. Every conversation he had with every waitress, every person he talked to. And in that he would uh, every night pray over each of those conversations and pray about how he would bring that conversation back to Jesus and how he would share the gospel with him. How many of you are that intentional with every conversation during the day? What if we were, what if we were desperate to see people come to Christ What if we were desperate as these men? And I want you to see verse five. What does Jesus say? Man, what an incredible, what an incredible thing to say about these men. Jesus saw their what? Their faith. They weren't so concerned with getting Jesus to meet their needs. Instead, they spent the whole time trying to get somebody else to Jesus. And Jesus saw their faith. This is incredible. And he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Man, wouldn't it be cool for Jesus to acknowledge your faith? Oh, that's like the highest compliment we could get as believers, right? But Jesus acknowledges their faith. See, you can't save others by your faith, but there is a sense that you can carry someone for a while. People who have faith when we struggle or can see a way, we can't see a way forward. You ever have these people in your life where they have faith where you couldn't? You ever have those brothers and sisters that stand in the gap for you? I'll never forget my mom, I've told you this, was the staple of my faith when I was a kid. I'm the product of her prayer, but I'll never forget when my brother got cancer. I shared that with you last week, walking up those stairs and seeing her faith shattered. And it was in that moment that I got to walk up and I got to speak words of encouragement to the woman who encouraged me to faith. Because we need to be people who have that kind of faith where we carry each other along sometimes with our faith. Can we do that? Brothers and sisters, can we be a church that carries one another in those hard times? I'll tell you, I've had some conversations with people on the phone the last couple of weeks that are hurting and it's hard to see a way out and they don't know how to process where God is at in all this. And it's kind of like, you know what? You don't have to just be, we got you here. We will carry you through this. And if we were a church that did that, how incredible. And we are a church who does that. So don't let me forget that. Don't let me sell you short. So that word there is carried. These men desperately carried the paralyzed man to Jesus. And then I want you to see, what does Jesus say? The next word is forgiven, forgiven. And I'm I'm just going to freak out for a minute because sometimes I feel like we undersell the things of God. Forgiveness is a massive deal when it comes to being made right with God. This is a big deal. And this passage shows us there's no greater healing than forgiveness with God. It is the most important thing. You, and, and what this is illustrating is until Jesus, there is no forgiveness. You are not right with God till Jesus. And many here are still laboring. Many in this city are still laboring to be made right with God. When all they need to know is they just need to come to Jesus. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There's a world out there deceiving us, saying that we're good people. And if we're just good enough, we can obtain salvation. That's just not true. Scripturally, we have to come to Jesus. He's the centerpiece of forgiveness. The most big and important idea of existence for those who are in sin. 
Healing takes a back seat to forgiveness in this passage. Do you notice this? How many of you would be marveled or amazed if somebody who was paralytic was brought up front and they were healed right in front of your very eyes? How many of you would be shocked? Somebody grew a limb back, you know, or if somebody who was sick got healed of cancer, that would be incredible. But this passage seems to go out of its way to say, yeah, that's good and all, but in the kingdom of God, what is far and above a greater miracle is forgiveness. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't it show how like our values are so messed up according to heavenly values, according to kingdom values? Healing is important, yes, but man, forgiveness is of such higher value. Healing takes a back seat to forgiveness. That's why I think it's important for us to always keep in mind that we should marry good works and serving people with the gospel. Those two should never part. Here's what I mean. There's a sect of Christianity that says we should only serve people and do good things for people and not mention the gospel of Jesus. We shouldn't mention salvation in Jesus. They'll get that from our good works, right? And there's another, that, another camp that says that if we just show them the Bible, if we throw a Bible at them or we tell them about Jesus, we don't really need to serve them. We don't need to offer them a cold cup of water if they're thirsty. And the Bible clearly illustrates that you shouldn't divorce those two, right? You should bring those two together. And so for us, we need to understand that sharing the gospel and bringing people to forgiveness should incorporate both of those things. Meeting needs only removes the boundaries to receiving forgiveness. I want you to think about that. Remember your priests. Everybody say, I'm a priest. And you need to be about removing boundaries. But removing boundaries, sometimes those are physical boundaries. How many of you, if you're surviving, if you're just in survival mode, you can't even think about your relationship with God because you're just wondering when your next food is good, your next meal is going to be. You're wondering when you're going to, so we should be people who remove those boundaries, those distractions so that people do get an opportunity to experience the gospel. That's why we serve. By the way, that's why we do every Sunday. I, I know Miriam, I see her shaking her head, you know, like that's why we feed the homeless. It's not just to continue to give them a warm meal. That's important. But ultimately we're far more and above concerned that they get to meet Jesus because that's going to be so much more than just another meal or just another drink. So forgiveness is a powerful thing. And the word I want to leave you with today is scandalous. Scandalous. Well, pastor, what do you mean by that? Did you see how the scribes responded? Scandalous. I think I spelled that right. Don't hold me wrong. For, don't hold me uh, against my bad handwriting. Scandalous. The forgiveness of God is really kind of scandalous when you think about it, isn't it? Now think about this. It's one of the hardest things that we will have to do. And how do the scribes respond? They respond to it as if it was scandalous. How dare you, Jesus, think that you can offer forgiveness and, and offer people rightness with God on behalf of God? See, that's scandalous for Jesus unless he is God himself, right? Unless he was God himself, in which, he, in which case we know he was. Jesus is saying that he is God. If you ever have somebody come to you and say, Jesus never claimed to be God, a passage like this clearly refutes that. Because we know guys like David in the Bible say, against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned. Well, David had killed a guy for his wife. Uh, uh, David, you kind of wronged Uriah, didn't you? Like, didn't you wrong that guy? But ultimately, David is saying, 
all my sin, no matter who it's against, ultimately it's against God alone. And God is the only one who can offer us true and awesome forgiveness. See, God's grace, his forgiveness is scandalous because it also puts into question this thing. Have you ever seen somebody forgiven and you're kind of like, man, they need to pay the penalty. And it puts into question God's justice, doesn't it? If God just forgives a wrongdoer, how many of you think that doesn't sound right? Shouldn't there be punishment? Doesn't that put God's justice on the line? How can God be perfectly merciful and graceful, but at the same time, perfectly just? How can those two things happen? Here's the scandal of the cross. God's perfect justice and his perfect mercy are married at the cross. Did you know that? How on earth could those two things be brought together? Only by the miracle of the cross, because God can be perfectly just. Every sin is paid for. Wrath was poured out on who? Jesus on our behalf. So there was punishment. God is still a just God. And here's how we can read in 1 John 4, 1, 8 through 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, this is amazing the Bible would say this. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is still just, even though he forgives a murderer. Can he forgive a murderer? Yes, because he paid the price, the wrath of God for that murder. Can he forgive the unforgivable? Oh man, from our perspective, yes, he forgives these incredibly things. This is why it's kind of scandalous, isn't it? God's forgiveness is kind of hard to chew. For those of you who've been wronged, you're like, how could I ever possibly forgive that person? You ever been there? How many of you have to choose forgiveness even though you don't want forgiveness? You don't want to give it. That's why the forgiveness of God can be rather scandalous, can't it? So I want to leave you with this. So what? Hey, would you receive the forgiveness that God offers? If you're here today and you haven't prayed to the Lord, you haven't sought him out for the forgiveness of your sins, he believes that that, he's showing us that that's a bigger deal then any other thing he can provide for you, that forgiveness is far and above more important. Have you received forgiveness? Believers, we need to be, about, we need to be people who remove barriers between God and people. And we want to make sure that we're not standing in the way accidentally. And then here's one of the hardest things when we begin to discuss forgiveness. We need to be people who offer forgiveness. And I would give you another story here but there's this thing about the Bible is it already gives you really amazing stories and it really already gives you image pictures of what God wants us to understand. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matt 18, 21 through 35. I just want to finish, bear with me here. I want to finish reading this story because I could make a plea for you to be people of forgiveness or I could just read the words of Jesus and have him show you the immensity and importance of Christians walking in forgiveness, even if it's hard even if it's difficult. Matt 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, which basically is infinity in their vernacular. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 
And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who followed him, who owed him, excuse me, a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded. He pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. And what did this man who received forgiveness do? He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, and this should send chills down our spine, brothers and sisters. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. That's hard, isn't it? That's intense. But believers can offer miraculous forgiveness because we've been miraculously forgiven. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, let me pray for you. Um, if you're a life group leader, I want to leave you with this. At your life groups, um, would you have your group tell about a time you needed or you needed or uh, gave forgiveness? Here are your small group questions. Tell us about a time you needed or gave forgiveness. And what about forgiveness makes it difficult? What about forgiveness makes it difficult? I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll have a, a brief time of response. If you would like to, um, I'll have Miriam go ahead and come up and play for us just a minute. But would you spend just a moment praying and considering what this means for you? First, receiving forgiveness, and then what does it mean to give forgiveness? Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray for our church. Oh God, we pray, would you help us to be a body of believers that have received forgiveness and therefore can offer forgiveness? Would you help it to be a miraculous forgiveness that reflects what you did for this paralyzed man? God, you showed us that the miracle of healing pales in comparison to the forgiveness that comes in Christ Jesus and that you alone, God, have the authority to forgive us of our sins. And so, God, I pray. I pray for every person here. I pray that they would be made right with you, God, that they themselves would be able to be a person that advocates for others to be made right with you, God. Help them to be priests. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' incredible name. Amen. If you're here today and you need prayer, maybe you need forgiveness or maybe you, you need to offer forgiveness and it's, it's a battle and it's a struggle. Would you come? Would you let me pray for you? Would you come talk to me? Maybe you're here and you don't know what it means to receive the full forgiveness of God himself through Jesus. If you're here and you haven't done that, would you come talk to me? This morning, 
I'm going to excuse you now after this prayer. But would you go and would you be people that walk in one of the hardest things in forgiveness? Lord Jesus, I send these brothers and sisters out in your name, Jesus, to live for you, to be people of radical forgiveness because they've been radically forgiven. I pray that in your name, Jesus alone. Amen.